Our gospel this morning comes from Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46. <clears throat> then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he is calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Here ends the word. So keep those Bibles open because we're going to be flipping through it. Um, if you don't have a Bible, that one from the pew in front of you, that's yours to keep. Um, we, we get a lot of paperback Bibles for the sake of giving them away. And so if, if you know someone in your life that doesn't have a Bible or would like a second Bible or a third, um, take five of them, honestly. That's why we get them behavior back. Um, but keep it open regardless whether you're in your own Bible or the one that came from the pew because we're going to be flipping around. Now, we just got through Holy Week. And so up until this point, we've been in the Gospel of Mark and we've been going through in order, right? From chapter one on through. And then we skipped ahead because of Holy Week, to, to kind of talk about the passages that dealt with pa um, Palm Sunday and Monday Thursday leading up to um, Good Friday and, and, and Easter Sunday. And now we've kind of jumped back to hit the points that we, we skipped ahead on. So we're, in, we're back in chapter 10, end of chapter 10, which if you look ahead, chapter 11, verse 1 is the triumphal entry. That was two weeks ago with Palm Sunday. So now we're stepping back and we're going to start going through. So I want to catch us up to where we've been before Holy Week to kind of remember Oh yeah, this is where we are. This is where we've been coming from. And another reason I want to do that too is, um, if you guys remember, Mark has been going at a breakneck pace, right? Mark keeps saying, immediately this happened, and then immediately that happened, and then immediately this happened. And he's been telling, hitting the high points of the story for us. And it's been going really, really quickly through the passage. And then we get to chapter 8, and all of a sudden he slows down. And it starts this, this passage in Mark where Mark is being very um, intentional and painstakingly slow with the details and telling us exactly what's happening to let us really see the end of Jesus' ministry before he goes into Jerusalem. And today's reading is the very end of that passage, right before he goes into Jerusalem. And so I want us to go back to chapter 8. So flip back to chapter 8 of Mark just to kind of catch us up on where we've been and to look how it ties together. Because this is a passage where Mark's been going really fast, but he slows down here to not just talk about Jesus' ministry, but to talk about how it relates to discipleship. Not only for his own disciples following him, but for us as we, we endeavor to follow. Verse 22 of chapter 8, the section starts, and this is where Mark slows down, with the healing of a blind man. And so it's just appropriate that he ends with the healing of a blind man that we're digging into today. But chapter 22, they get to Bethsaida, and the people bring Jesus a blind man. If you guys remember this, John Alexander preached on this a couple weeks ago. And this is where Jesus um, tried twice. It was the, the partial healing and then fully healed. For the, the blind man, he, he got partial sight and could, could kind of see 
shapes. You know, he said the people walk around look like trees. And so then Jesus spits again and gets the mud and does the thing. And then, then he sees fully. And remember, John kind of pulled out for us that this was um, a parallel to his disciples, that they were slowly regaining their sight. Because right before this, um, right before this, it, it's that passage, the double healing, is surrounded by two instances of the disciples being blind. So first, they've just fed 4,000 Gentiles, and they're getting back in the boat, and Jesus says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. And they're like, yeast of the Pharisees, the bread, what? What? Uh, I didn't bring any bread. Did you bring any bread? And they, they don't get it. They're so blind. They, they don't get it. And Jesus is like, hold on. You're not getting it. Why, why don't you understand what I'm trying to say? Beware the teaching of the Pharisees. And then right after this healing, it's, um, they're walking through the area in Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And they answer, and they're showing, they're still blind. They have no idea. Well, some people say this, some people say that. But then Peter, the spokesperson for the group, he gets it, but he gets partial sight because he says, you are the Christ. And Jesus affirms him, and we, we remember that huge invitation. Yes, Peter, on you, I'll build my church. On this rock, I'll build my church. And Peter's like feeling pretty good about himself. And then Jesus says, yeah, so you know I'm the Messiah now. Let me tell you how the Messiah is going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suffer and then I'm going to die. And Peter's like, no, that's not how it goes. Jesus, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about, which is funny in itself. Because at that point, he only has partial sight. He hasn't fully gotten it. The first half of the book of Mark has Jesus' disciples walking around trying to piece together who is this Jesus guy. And at that point, they hit their halfway mark and they go, oh, Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, I get you. And for the rest of Mark, he's trying to help them regain full sight because they only have partial sight to see, yeah, but the Messiah is going to go about it in a different way than you think he is. So that, this, this story of the healing of the blind man in chapter 8 kind of starts this, this journey, the turning point for the disciples as far as talking about discipleship as we are slowly getting our sight. So let's go ahead to chapter 9, the transfiguration. Now that Jesus is starting to reveal himself to his disciples, they're getting partial sight. They see shapes like trees and things. Then he brings his three up the mountain with him and the transfiguration happens, and, and he fully reveals himself to Peter, James, and John, right? And we remember, Peter cannot even handle what's going on right now. Pastor Chris was preaching on it, and remember, he's kind of humorously telling us how Peter was freaking out and be like, oh, we're going to build a tent over here, and we're going to build a tent over here, and we're going to build a tent over here, and this is just so good that we're here, right, Jesus? I just don't even know what's going on right now. It reminds me of probably what, keeping with the metaphor of the blind, Probably what it's like for any of these people who got healed by Jesus to all of a sudden be able to see for the first time. It's just overwhelming. They don't even know how to process it. Have you, any of you ever thought about that? I don't know if you're like me, but when I was like six or seven, I think, I don't remember if it's sparked by the Bible stories or um, maybe someone I knew that was blind or something I saw on TV, but I wondered what it would be like to be blind. Did anyone ever do this where like you would close your eyes, you like squint, and you walk around being like, I could do this. Yeah, I could, I could totally do this. And you bump into things and your mom gets mad at you. My mom got mad at me a lot because I was constantly walking around. <laughs> yeah, I could totally do this. You know, and, and then you hear the stories about how, how people who have, have malfunctioning bodies in certain parts, I mean, I, th I just think it's part of the grace of God that 
he, he, lets, he lets their bodies um, flourish in other areas. So someone who might, might be blind, their, their sense of hearing is just developed extra because they don't have the sense of sight. And so the mind kind of rewires itself. So, you know, some blind people have that echolocation thing that bats have. You know, they can walk around, they snap their fingers or click their tongue, and they kind of know that there's like a bush there or a wall. And I was like, thought that was crazy. And so I'd be walking around the house, you know, bumping into things, think, you know, hoping I could get it, you know, and it just didn't work. And, and I was like, man, this is hard. And I always kind of walk around, kind of open one eye a little bit, you know, I'd cheat, be like, oh yeah, I could totally do this if I was mostly blind. You know, I wouldn't bump into things at all. You know, but I mean, that's, that's not what it was really like for a blind person. So I had no idea. But I always imagined not only what it meant to be blind, but what would it be like to have your eyes opened? What would it be like to all of a sudden see color? To see the faces of people that you're so familiar with their voice. I just thought that would be amazing. So Jesus reveals himself fully to Peter, James, and John, and they don't even know how to handle it. They're just overwhelmed. But they still don't get it completely. They're still only seeing in part. So let's keep on going. Verse 14 of chapter 9. Jesus comes down the mountain, and the rest of his disciples have been left down there, and there's an argument going on, and he goes, hey, what's going on here? And, and a man comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, my son has been possessed by a demon for his whole life. And I brought him to you to heal. And your disciples tried, but they couldn't cast out the demon. If you can do anything, please help. And Jesus responds with a really harsh challenge, right? He goes, if I can. And what does he say here? He says, if you can. Oh, where am I? Oh, if you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately, there's that word immediately again, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my disbelief. And we see that's a parallel for the disciples. Honestly, those disciples believed that tried to cast out the demon in the first place, the, the, the nine that got left behind. But there's something about their doubt that didn't limit God but it limited what they believed God was able to do in that boy's life. Because their faith went, yeah, we believe God can do this. And it's just not enough. And Jesus says, if I can, of course, anything is possible for God for those who believe. And the father throws himself down just beautifully. I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. And that, I think that's a cry for all of us a lot of times. Help me in my unbelief, God. I see in part. Help me see fully. So let's continue. This is, again, just more places where Mark is showing us not only Jesus' ministry, but parallels for, for Jesus' disciples. So continuing on, chapter 10, verse 17, the rich young ruler. Here's another guy that throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he says, Rabbi, I've done everything. Help me know how to get eternal life. And this is a guy that's been perfect, right? Perfect according to the law. And obviously, he's been blessed by God for it. I mean, he's got riches. He's got wealth. He's been following the law. I mean, we would look at a person today that's, you know, high standing, you know. Maybe you have friends in this church or other churches even where you go, man, they are like a godly person. And check it out. Like, God's taking care of them. They have a wonderful family. They've got all those cars and, you know, those big TVs. Like, God is blessing them. That is great. But Jesus says, well, there's one thing you lack. 
you haven't fully given me your heart yet. There's still something between your heart and my heart. You got to give that up. And the guy walks away sad because he can't. He can't part with it. And Jesus, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Had compassion for him. He wasn't saying, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, you don't got it together. He's like, well, I want your heart. And the guy wouldn't do it. And, 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 he, and he turns to his disciples, Jesus, and he says how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And they don't get it because they only see in partial, partiality. They don't see him full yet. And he goes, how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. And they go, well, how then can we enter the kingdom of God? You know, Peter goes back, we've given up everything. Everyone looks at us and says, they've got one pair of clothes, they sleep on other people's floors, and they eat whatever they can find because they're just walking around following Jesus. They've left their livelihoods, they've left their families, they've left their security. What about us? How can we ever be saved? Everyone looks at us and goes, God must not be blessing them. Can you guys think of anyone in your life maybe that you've seen going, wow, they're hard on their luck. God's not blessing them. I've done it. But Jesus responds and he goes, anyone that's given up house, family, money, fields, brothers, mothers, sisters, will receive a hundred times more house, family, fields, brothers, mothers, sisters in the kingdom of God by following me. The point isn't giving up the stuff. The point is giving him your heart. He's showing again, it's not about what everyone else sees. It's about the fact that I'm following Jesus and trusting that he's going to take care of me. Peter said, we've left everything. And Jesus says, and I'm taking care of you, right? And that brings us up to speed with Bartimaeus. We're now chapter 10. So we've, we've kind of caught up where we've been, and this has been this passage, starting chapter 8, verse 22, starting with the healing of a blind man, and now we're to the, the last healing in the Gospel of Mark. This is the last one because after this, Jesus goes in Jerusalem, and then all that goes down. And he's teaching his disciples and stuff more, but this is the last healing. So this is important. And it's super important because this is the only person in the entire Gospel of Mark that Jesus heals that is named. I don't know if you guys caught that. There's one other guy that's named Jairus, the synagogue leader whose daughter died. Remember? Um, Jesus stops to heal the woman that's bleeding and the daughter dies in the meantime. But he says, no, just have faith. And he goes and says, no, she's just sleeping and everyone laughs and he raises her to life. But we don't know the girl's name. We just know Jairus. And there's, you know, probably Mark put in Jairus' name because he's probably still around when Mark was writing the gospel. So it's like, yeah, that guy Jairus, you know, the synagogue leader, you guys know him. Go ask him. He can corroborate the story. That's probably why Mark included his name. But Bartimaeus is the only person that Jesus actually healed that we have their name. And I think that's really important because it's the only time it happens. And Mark is very intentional with what he puts in. So I think Bartimaeus is someone that we should look at and go, well, what can we learn from this guy? I mean, it's likely that Mark's readers knew who Bartimaeus was. I mean, the same way that later on, when um, we just went over this a couple weeks ago, after Jesus has been sentenced and he's been beaten in the praetorium by the officers and they, they carry him out and he's carrying his cross, it says, they passed by a man named Simon from Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, and forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Well, why would Mark go so far to name some random guy who's traveling into Jerusalem to carry Jesus' cross? Well, it's probably because, well, we know this in the book of Acts, Alexander and Rufus were part of the early church. And so Mark goes, yeah, you you know Alex and Rufus. 
Their dad did that. Go talk to them. They've got crazy stories. How awesome is that? And so in the same way, Bartimaeus was probably known in the early church. So like, you know Bart, son of Timaeus? Go talk to him. He was blind and he met Jesus and now he can see. Man, talk to him. Because all the other people Jesus heals, he says, go, your faith has healed you. And they go on their way. But it says Bartimaeus here, Verse 52, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road, followed Jesus along his way. So Bartimaeus stuck around. So today I want to dig into who Bartimaeus is and, and why, why we need to listen to him and why, what we can learn. Um, it's not just a passage on healing, it's a passage on, passage on discipleship. And so what can we learn as we um, parallel our lives to Bartimaeus? And so the three things I want to talk about is Bartimaeus' sensitivity, his tenacity, and his audacity. And so if you're taking notes, those are three things to write down. First, let's talk about his sensitivity. We talked about people who maybe have a decreased ability in one sense, having increased ability in a different sense. A blind person have a really good hearing. A deaf person maybe have a really good sense of touch so they can even feel the vibrations when someone is talking or when sound is happening. They can feel the vibrations and they know sound is happening even though they can't hear it. In the same way, Bartimaeus had an increased spiritual sensitivity. Why do I say that? Let's read it again. This starts in verse 46 of chapter 10. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, they're all on their way to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover, right? Now, if you, if you don't know much about, much about um Israel topography and the map. I won't draw weird shapes again. I know that confused a lot of you last time. Um, all you got to know is Jerusalem, obviously, is where everyone's going. Jericho's 15 miles away. But the most direct way to Jerusalem, besides Jericho, is through Samaritan territory. And we all know Jews don't go through Samaritan territory. So they would go around. They'd cross the Jordan River, go around this other way, and then across the river from Jericho, they'd cross Jordan River again at Jericho, and then go 15 miles up the road. And again, it was up the road because Jericho was really low because it's down by the Dead Sea area. And Jerusalem's like 2,000 feet above sea level. And so it's literally up a hill, Jesus ascending to Jerusalem to establish his reign, but in a different way than we think. So this whole host of people is going because they're all just happen to be going in the same area. So there's crowds going by and Barnabas is sitting on the side of the road because he knows, well, all the people are going to the festival. Everyone's going to try and be extra generous because they're going for the festival and going to the temple. They want to kind of get right and do good things, so they'll probably be extra generous. So he laces his cloak out on the road so more people can put things down. But he hears, well, there's a lot of commotion. Who's coming? And it says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is what I'm talking about, the sensitivity. Bartimaeus had some insight, a divine revelation, I think, to know that Jesus, who Jesus was. This is the only place in the whole Gospel of Mark that Son of David is used. The other Gospels used in other places like when he's getting into Jerusalem. Mark says Bartimaeus is the first one that said it. Bartimaeus got it. This blind guy saw who Jesus was. So he calls out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And it says many around him rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Shut up, Bartimaeus. Just take your little money. Just sit there, be quiet. We're being nice to you as we're walking by. Shut up. Be quiet. But he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Because not only was he sensitive, 
He was also tenacious. He would not be silenced. He would not be stopped. He would not quit. He said, no, 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 no. I got to persevere and push through to get to Jesus. I wonder how many of us do that. I think there's a lot of times in my life, and maybe for you it's the same, where I let my dignity get in the way of my deep need. Has anyone ever been like in a church service or, or maybe somewhere else where, where maybe there's an offering for, for prayer, for healing, or maybe, maybe prayer for you? Um, I'll stand up and everyone around you just could pray for you. And you feel that tug on your heart because you're like, man, I need prayer because my elbow got messed up. Or, you know, I, I need prayer for healing in my marriage right now or with my kids. Or I need prayer for healing because I'm just holding on to the anger. But we don't think it's proper or we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. And so we think we're being humble by going, no, I'll, I'll just pray for this person that's next to me. I'll pray for them. Now see, that's dangerous because it's masked as humility, but it's actually pride. Because what it is is I don't want to admit that I need Jesus right now. Now, Bartimaeus didn't have that. He was tenacious. He fought through. He didn't let them quiet him. He said, no, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and he says, call him. So they called to the blind man saying, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Isn't that funny? Like two seconds later, like shut up, Bartimaeus. What are you doing? Stop yelling so loud. And then Jesus like bring him here. Okay, great. Hey, hey, Bartimaeus, he's calling you. Hey, this is great. Like the flip-flop on that. But Bartimaeus, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. We're going to return to that cloak. Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Now, not only did Bartimaeus have sensitivity from God, not only did he have the tenacity to not quit, but he had the audacity to actually ask for what he needed. Now, this is interesting because right before this passage, if you remember last week, Pastor Chris was preaching on how James and John come to Jesus and they ask him, this is verse 35, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? Barimaeus comes up and Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? Well, he's a blind guy. What do you think he wants you to do for him? But what he's doing, he's giving Bartimaeus the opportunity to act on his faith, to actually put into words, put into action, this is why I need God. And he did the same thing for James and John. What do you want me to do for you? Well, Lord, when you ascend in your glory, can I sit on your left and this guy sit on your right and we can rule Israel with you? Can we do that? Because we've been talking back there and we're arguing about who's the greatest and I think we are. And so can we just make it official? Can we just sit with you? Can we just use you for our own glory, Jesus, when you do all the hard work? Can we make sure everyone knows that we were with you the whole time? Bartimaeus doesn't ask for what he wants. He asks for what he needs. And I think we all know what these things are. There's things we want in our lives. And then there's things that only Jesus can do for us. For Bartimaeus, it was seeing. He couldn't do anything about that. Only Jesus could heal him in that way. He had the audacity to ask for what he needs. He didn't get up there and get gun shy. He didn't get up there and go, well, Jesus, I, uh, I really want some food or some money. 
Because this whole time leading up to this, there's lots of people that want different things from Jesus, right? The Pharisees want to trap him. The rich young ruler wants eternal security at a minimal cost. The disciples want to use Jesus for their own glory. And Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, could want any sort of things, but he has the audacity to ask for what he needs. Rabbi, my teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So I have two questions for us this morning. And they're not, they're not the Kairos questions, although you can use a Kairos card if you want to respond to it. But the two questions are, where in your life are you blind? And I don't mean that in like a metaphorical sense of, oh yeah, I didn't see that one coming. Or, oh, I guess I don't really pay attention to, you know, when my kid asked that. Or when my wife asked this. In the way that Bartimaeus was blind, as in that was the one area in his life that he needed Jesus. Only Jesus could fix that problem. In what area in your life do you need Jesus to heal? What is your blindness? What is your ailment that only Jesus can satisfy, only Jesus can fix, only Jesus can restore? What is your need? And the second question is, what is your cloak? We talked about the rich young ruler a couple times. And again, that was something where Jesus was saying, I just want your heart, and this thing is in the way of your heart and my heart. Can you walk away from that so, so we can be together and you can see what I'm going to give you? And the rich young ruler wouldn't do it. It was too much for him to let go of. And that's why Jesus says it's hard for those who have much enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard for them to walk away from it. But Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus pretty much proves his point because all he has is that cloak. Now, that is probably his only worldly possession, right? He lays it out on the ground when he's begging to collect the alms and stuff from generous people. It's probably his shelter during the day when it's hot. It's probably his warmth at night when he's sleeping. It's the only thing he has. And when Jesus has called him, throwing his cloak aside, he leaps up and runs to Jesus. Because he doesn't have that much to hold him back. He's pretty much proving the point. Those who have little, it's not that much to walk away from. Now, I'm not saying that we all should just have just a cloak. What I'm saying is, what is your cloak that you're holding on to? Because what if Bartimaeus had been sitting there, son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus has called him and says, hey, Bartimaeus, come on, come. And he's like, okay, hold on. Let me get the cloak. Hold on. Wait, I'll, I'll be right there. Hold on. Where is it? Guys, you're stepping on it. Give it back. If he'd been concentrated on that instead of just running straight to Jesus, because again, this is different. This is a different call into discipleship than, than the one that Jesus gave like Peter and James and John and Andrew and all those guys, because in that case, he said, come follow me. And they dropped their nets. They left everything. That's what Peter says. We've left everything to follow you. That's not what Jesus is saying. Hey, Bartimaeus, you've got to leave everything to come follow me. No, he's saying, come here, I'm going to heal you. If Bartimaeus had let that cloak be the thing that kept him from going to Jesus, that would have been the thing that kept him from getting the healing he needed. I can think of all kinds of things in my life that Jesus said, come here, Drew. Come to me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, hold on. Just let me bring this with me. Not realizing that that is keeping me from going to the one that's going to heal me. 
the one I need, the one that has the words of life, the one who is able to give me the full life that he came to offer. And I'm letting this stay in the way of it? What is your cloak? Because keep in mind, holding on to that cloak is keeping you from Jesus. And it's not that Jesus is saying the cloak is a bad thing. It's that Jesus is saying, I'm here. Come on. I want to heal you. What do you want me to do for you? What do you need? Peter's saying to Jesus, we've given up everything. What then will we receive? And Jesus is saying, you receive me. I came that they may have life and life to the full, it says in John 10.10. I'm taking care of you. And Luke, he's walking along and he says, consider the ravens. They don't reap or sow or store up grains in storehouses and yet my father feeds them. And how much more important are you than birds? Consider the lilies of the field. They don't clothe themselves or worry about what they're going to wear tomorrow and yet my father clothes them more beautifully than anything else. And how much more important are you than these little flowers. What is your cloak that is getting between your heart and Jesus' heart that is keeping you from being audacious enough to ask for what you need to heal your blindness? Because I think there's times when we can be patient with God and we can sit and we can wait and we can abide and can wait upon the Lord. And patience is, is what you put up with and what you're waiting for. But the other side of that is perseverance. And perseverance is what you push through and what you're working for. Jesus wasn't going to Bartimaeus. Jesus wasn't stopping by Bartimaeus. He was on his way somewhere else. So maybe in your life you feel like God's been silent for a while. Maybe it's because he's not talking. Maybe it's an invitation for you to get up and chase after him, to persevere and push through and call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for constant reminders of your grace we thank you for constant stories like this one that remind us that we need you. Only you can heal those parts of our life. Show us, God, what our blindness is. What is that thing that is only you can heal? And what's that cloak that we need but just toss it aside so we can go to you? What are we holding on to more than you? What's getting between our heart and your heart? God, give us a sensitivity to see where you are in our lives, to see where you're at work. Give us the tenacity to push through and not be quieted by those around us, not be quieted by doubt and fear, but to call out to you with the audacity of saying what we really need to humbly admit that we can't do it on our own and we need you. Thank you, Father, 
for loving us and sending us your son. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you for the cross. Holy Spirit, continue the work that you're doing. Amen.